Okay, hey guys, uh, we are in the last part of the series called Fitting In. We've been going through the book of Acts. Today we're concluding in Acts chapter 15. And then we're going to do a little different series starting next week. And then we have Easter and then another series. And then we'll come back to Acts. So I know you guys are like, like riveting, like what's happening in the book of Acts? Okay, <laughs> so let me just start off with this one statement. And this is what the sermon's about today. The church ought to be the most inclusive community in the world. It ought to be. Is it? Uh, well, that's up for debate, right? Maybe you've been to a, in a situation where you're like, hey, I heard you did this bad thing. You don't belong here anymore. Or even, they didn't, even if they didn't tell you that, you feel it. You know, like, oh, I don't know. I, I, don't, I feel like everybody's judging me. I feel like... Or maybe you come to a church and you're like, I don't look like the people here. I don't feel comfortable. They, had, they didn't tell you that you don't belong here, but you feel like you don't feel welcome here. Or you're like, hey, I'm not a Christian, and I'm at church. Do I belong here? Or, hey, I'm of a different race. Or, hey, I, I have, you know, my gender identity is different than the people here. Or, like, I, I'm not attracted to the people that I'm supposed to be attracted to. Or whatever it is that makes you feel different. Sometimes we go to church and we're like, is this really the most inclusive community in the world? Because what we've been learning for the past few weeks is that the church, when it started, was the most inclusive community in the world. Like, at the time, when everybody were in their own tribes, the church, they did some groundbreaking stuff. Today, we kind of look at that and say, oh yeah, of course. But back then, it wasn't as multicultural as we're used to having here in Los Angeles. So, for example, in the beginning of the book of Acts, we, we see that the church started with 12 Jewish boys. And then by chapter 2, that expanded to thousands of Jewish people who are both men and women. And then after that, a few chapters later, we see that there are now including people who are Jewish but live outside the country, right? And then after that, we see another story where, where these people scatter and then they go into the, the, the taboo areas called Samaria. They go in there and they walk through there and they see these people who are outcasts because they are considered to be people who compromised on their faith. And the church says, you're a part of our group too. And they're like, okay, right? And then after that, uh, you see this guy named Philip walking down the street and he sees an Ethiopian eunuch, a foreigner with different color skin that has a different sexual orientation than him. Now, back in those days, eunuchs, they were castrated. Kids, if you want to know what that is, talk to your parents. Okay, but, but basically what they were known as is, well, they used to be men, but they're, they're no longer men, but they're not women. So they're somewhere in between. They didn't know where they identified, and they were included in the church. Even the guy who baptized him, his name is Philip in the story. Philip says, what's holding me back? Oh, no, no. The Ethiopian eunuch says, what's holding me back from getting baptized? And Philip says, nothing. But in reality, there's many reasons why he shouldn't have baptized him. For one, the Old Testament tells them that you can't baptize people like that. But he does it anyways because the church is supposed to be the most inclusive community in the world. And then the following chapters after that, you see this guy named Paul go from place to place to place, foreign countries. He goes through Turkey. He, sees, he goes to a place like in Greece. And these guys don't believe in their God. They believe in Zeus and Poseidon and Athena and you know, all these different gods and goddesses. And these, they're like, it's okay if you never read the Bible. If you want to be a part of the Jesus following group, come on over, and they said yes. That's what's been happening in the book of Acts so far. That's why the series is called Fitting In. Okay, and um, 
But here's the problem, right? This is called Christianity. But today, 2,000 years after the story that I just told you right now, 2,000 years later, we're not known as the most inclusive community in the world. What happened? What happened? Now, I'm not the kind of person who likes to point fingers, although I do sometimes, and I'm really sorry when I do that. But today, um, I want to do a historical reference. So I will be pointing fingers, but it doesn't mean that they're like that today, okay? So I'm just saying, you know. But the root of the cause of this exclusiveness started before Christianity. Before Christianity was Christianity, it was called Judaism. I'm not saying that Judaism today is like this. Just historically, I'm just pointing back. Um, because in the, for them, what they really believed in was the Old Testament. And the Old Testament, they called the Law of Moses because there's over 600 laws in there that they had to follow. And most of those laws were exclusive. You have to speak a certain language. You have to dress a certain way. You have to do certain rituals. But then in AD 30, this guy named Jesus shows up and he messes the whole thing up, right? He shows up and he says, hey, by the way, guys, I'm actually God incarnate. So, you know, you Jews, you've been working on this whole worshiping God thing. Well, here I am in the flesh and watch me. I'm going to include the people who are outcasts. And they're like, <gasps> you can't do that. It's like, yeah, uh, actually, this is what I've been trying to tell you all along. So to recap what happened after Jesus died and rose again 20 years later, the church was birthed. And here's the map. And so they, planted, they started a church in a place called Jerusalem, which is down here. And then there's a new church that popped up up here called Antioch. And so they decided to share this good news from here all the way to the north in a place called Pisidian Antioch. This is recap. They go to Iconium, to Lystra. They go to a place called Derby. And once they got there, they're like, let's go home. So they make a U-turn. They go back to Lystra. They go to Iconium. They go all the way back to Pisidian Antioch. Then they go down. They make a quick detour over here, and they go on the boat, and they go all the way back to Antioch. That's where we left off last week. By the way, this is called... Paul's first missionary journey. He has a few more coming up in the book of Acts. We'll talk about that in the coming weeks or coming months. Okay, but today I'm just going to conclude this journey with something that happened after he got home in Antioch. So Paul is going around telling everybody, if you want to join the Jesus movement, you can, you know, to all these people who knew nothing about the Jewish culture, right? And as he's doing that, he discovers that there's few Jews who are living there. They seem to not like the message, but the Gentiles did like the message. Now, it turns out there's a group of people, let's see, on this map, if you look, you can't see this, but all the way down here off the screen is a place called Jerusalem where the church was birthed. And there, there's a bunch of Jesus followers who are disagreeing with the way that Paul's doing things. Paul, what do you mean you just went around telling people to join the Jesus movement? They have to, they have to pay a price. They, they have to, well, they have to, and so these people who thought, like, Paul's just giving away the, you know, giving away the invitation into the church so freely, they're like, no, you have to have them, they have to follow the rules of the Old Testament. And so these people, they backtrack and they went back to where Paul went and taught them, like, by the way, did you see a guy named Paul stop by here? Yeah? Well, let me tell you, he's been teaching the wrong things. What you need to do is you have to follow all the rules of the Old Testament. And that's where we pick up this story. It says this, certain people, okay, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching believers. Now, if this confuses you because this says came down, because Antioch is up here, Jerusalem is down here, Judea is down here, um, they didn't look at it from the top, a top topographical map. What they looked at it was elevation. 
Jerusalem is built on a hill, so from there, everything's going down. So in case you're wondering why that is. But these people from Jerusalem decided, let's go down to Antioch. So they go to Antioch, and we need to teach these guys these things. This is what they taught. Unless you are circumcised, that's one of the rules of the Old Testament, according to the customs taught by Moses, referring to the Old Testament, you cannot be saved. Meaning, you cannot join the church unless you are circumcised. Those are the rules to which all the men are like, okay, had we known that, we maybe we wouldn't have dotted, signed on the dotted line. We probably wouldn't have joined, joined the church, right? But what these guys are saying is this. You have to follow these rules in the Old Testament because it's in the Bible. The Bible says so. You have to obey. Obeying the Old Testament commands is a condition for inclusion. That's what they were teaching. And as they were sharpening their knives and coming closer and closer, one step at a time, to the men of the church, Paul jumps in says, stop. <laughs> he says this. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Hold up, guys. Who taught you that you have to follow the rules of the Old Testament? Who taught you that? It's like, well, we just figured that if it's in the Bible, then uh, we have to do it. And so they get into this debate back and forth, back and forth. And at that point, they're like, okay, let, wait, this is not getting anywhere. You know what we need to do? We need to settle this once and for all. We're going to go down to Jerusalem Okay, because that's where the OG, like the original 12 are. Well, Jesus had 12 followers. One of them was Judas, who betrayed Jesus and killed himself. So that's 11. And James died a few chapters ago. So there's 10 of them. We need to go down to Jerusalem, talk to the 10 original disciples of Jesus. They're now called apostles. And we're going to settle this debate once and for all. So that was their plan. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. Very smart move, right? They're going to go talk to the experts. Okay, now, this is the first time in church history where a bunch of different leaders from all these different churches around the world at the time came to one place to make a decision on a question that they disagreed on. Okay, and that we call, they didn't call it this back then, but we call this the Jerusalem Council or the Council of Jerusalem. If you take in a membership class with me, you heard me talk about this. This is a pivotal point in the book of Acts. This is when they're like, okay, Jesus taught us a lot of things, but we don't think he was clear on this one, so we need to talk about it and see what God is teaching us as a community. It's like, okay, let's do that. And so just to give you some clear images here, the, peop the church of the north, the church of Antioch, the church of Jerusalem are in disagreement about this one topic. Do you have to become Jew, a Jewish person, before you become a Christian? That's the question. Do we have to follow the Old Testament in order to become a Christian? So the question that they're really wrestling with here is this. What hoops do we have to jump through to become a Christian? What do we have to do? Do we have to get circumcised if you're a guy? Like, do we have to eat like they eat? Do we have to follow the Ten Commandments? Do we have to do all these things if we want to call ourselves Christians? And so they started traveling south from Antioch, 300 miles, which takes them about a month. So they traveled down south to have this meeting. So the church sent them, that's Paul and Barnabas, on their way. And as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, that's important, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. So you can just imagine, 300-mile journey. Paul and Barnabas are going south. And as they go south, they go through a land called Phoenicia. And they're looking around, they're like, hey, there's a church over there. Hey, there's a bunch of believers over there. Hey, there's a bunch of Jesus followers over there. What's going on? It turns out this movement is growing on its own. Then they get to Samaria. 
If you remember from a few chapters ago, that's the place where all the compromisers lived. They're like, oh my goodness, look at the people that were reached out to a few chapters ago. There's a big movement happening over here. Whoa, hey, in the love of Jesus, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, hey, right? They're like, wow, look at this Jesus movement grow on its own. So Paul is traveling through all the way to Jerusalem, and he's like surprised, like, wow, this is great. So when he gets to Jerusalem, he's like, guys, you would not believe what I saw on the way down here. God's movement is growing. The ripple that Jesus started is expanding beyond the walls of Jerusalem and the walls of Israel. It's worldwide. This is amazing, right? So let's find out what happens next. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, if you remember the Pharisees from the book of Luke, those were the, the people who were attacking Jesus all the time, right? Stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the laws of Moses. This is their argument. It's in the Bible. They need to do it. If they're going to call themselves churchgoers, they're going to be called Christians, they need to do what we've been doing our entire lives, following the rules of Moses. To which the apostles are like, yeah, there's a few people in uh, Antioch who are not excited about that because they don't like to have surgery down there. <laughs> so, um, so this is what happened next. The apostles and the elders meant to consider this question. Again, what is this question? The question is, what hoops do we have to jump through to become Christians? And to reiterate the argument is there's the Pharisees and these people who think you should be circumcised. They're called, the, we'll call them Team Moses. Says, if it's in the Bible, you have to obey it, man. Otherwise, you can't call yourself a person of God. But then there's the other team, Team Jesus, who says, come as you are. It doesn't matter who you are, what your past is like. If you want to come to Jesus, the door is wide open to you. And that was the dispute. That was the big conflict that was happening. So they start discussing and discussing, and it says, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. If you remember Peter, he was the leader of the 12, but then his life was threatened, so he ran away. He was in hiding. We don't know where he went. This is the last time he shows up in the book of Acts, because after he makes a speech, he goes back into hiding. But Peter gets up, and he basically says this, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. He's making a reference to the story we read a few months ago. Remember that story when Peter is taking a nap on a roof and he has this crazy dream? And in this dream, there's like these animals that's being wrapped up in a blanket. And then when he woke up from it, he was like, what does that mean? And God's like, well, that means that who, what you think is unclean is actually clean now. So, you know, enjoy their company. So after that, he goes to Caesarea where there is a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion. He's like a general of a bunch of Roman soldiers. And they start talking, and they start eating together. They have a sleepover, and then before you know it, the centurion is on Team Jesus now, right? And so he's like, you guys know the story. You knew that I was going to go out there and talk about Jesus. And when they did, the results were really good. But guess what? When I got home, you know who pushed back on me? It's these people who insist that we follow the Old Testament. Like, I came back saying, guys, good news. You know, like our enemies, you know, the people who've been taking over our land, the Romans, well, at least some of them are Jesus followers now, and they're okay. Like, they're, like they love us, and we love them. And there's a bunch of people like, but are they circumcised? So I was like, you should be not surprised. It, like, right up here, it says, you know. It says, brothers, it says, you know. Like, you've heard this story before. You know that when I went to Caesarea, people started following Jesus without following the rules of the Old Testament. And then he says this, God, who knows the heart, right? 
He says, these guys, they do some weird rituals. These people don't do the same rituals that we do. These guys are very different from us, but God looks past that, and he knows the person's heart. He knows the heart, show that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He's making a really interesting point here. If you guys remember what happened in Acts chapter 2, there was this instance where the Holy Spirit came upon a bunch of Jewish people, and then they started speaking in different languages, and they, because that happened, they're like, whoa, I guess we're Jesus followers. I guess God has accepted us. We are now part of the Jesus movement, right? And then later on, Peter goes to Caesarea, Philippi, goes to Caesarea and meets all these Romans, and the same thing happens to them. So what the argument that Peter's making here is this. You call yourselves Jesus followers because of the events of Acts chapter 2. And they're like, yeah, we know that, that God is okay with us you know, do, doing what we're doing because the Holy Spirit told us it was okay. Acts chapter 2. Then Peter says, well, guess what? The Gentiles, the non-Jews, had the same experience in Acts chapter 10. So the way that you validate yourself as being Jesus followers is the exact experience that these people had. Yes, the people who don't follow the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit said, yes, you belong in this family. Then, Peter says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? It's like, if you guys really believe that following the Old Testament is what makes you Christians, let's raise our hands. Let's see. Um, okay, Jews, um, how many of you guys actually succeeded in following all these rules? Raise your hands. Oh, nobody? So why do you want to make that a qualification to becoming a Christian? Oh, what about your ancestors? Have your ancestors been able to follow all the rules in the Old Testament? No? Then why are you trying to put that same yoke on the people who are wanting to become Christian but have never read the Old Testament? To which I like to think, they're like, uh, we have no answer for that, Peter. Uh, please sit down. So he does. He sits down. And, you know, oh, by the way, Peter could have probably looked, you know, around and said, you Pharisees, you guys, you guys bragged about how good you were following rules, but let's be honest here. Did you really follow all 613 laws? No. Well, then, you know, then by your own admission, you are not a Christian. But it's a good thing that we're not dependent on this whole following the rules. As a matter of fact, he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus. It's because God loves us that we are now part of this family, not because we're able to follow a bunch of rules, that we are saved just as they are. You can't follow the rules. They haven't followed the rules. You guys are on the same boat. If you think that you are followers of Jesus, then they are also qualified to be followers of Jesus. And Peter's probably thinking, guys, I walked with Jesus for three years. And he taught this over and over and over. But it took me 20 years after that to finally step foot into a Gentile home. And when I stepped into that home and met those Romans in that room, I realized this isn't Judaism anymore. This is not Judaism 2.0. We're not here to start that old thing again. We're here to proclaim that the old has passed and the new is now here. The rules are completely different now. Now, this part, next part's not in the Bible, but this is what I imagine Peter saying. He's saying, we, Jesus-following Jews, must move in their direction and stop expecting them to move in our direction. That's what love requires. Jesus said that the most important command for us is to love the people around us. And the loving thing for us to do is not wait for them to conform to our standard. Maybe it's our job to move towards them and say, hey, we're going to meet you wherever you are. So then, 
Paul, I mean, Peter, he sits down. And then next, Paul stands up and he gives a quick testimony. He says, guys, on the way here, you know what I saw? In my long first journey, you know what I saw? All these Gentiles saying, yes, we want to follow Jesus. And guess who, who were the, you know who the ones were that were kept on pushing back saying, no, you can't do this? It was the Jews. My experience has been that this is what God really wants us to do, is to reach out to the Gentiles, not expecting them to follow the Old Testament. And then he sits down. And then the most important person in the room stands up. His name is James. The reason why he's so important is because ever since Peter stepped down as a leader of the church, James took his place, so he's the most important person in the church. And not only that, he's the half-brother of Jesus himself. Remember Mary and Joseph? Well, Jesus was, uh, was a virgin birth, so he has a mom, but the dad is God, right? Well, after that, Joseph and Mary had a few other kids. One of them was James, so that's his half-brother. So James stands up, right? And it says, when they finished, James spoke up. This is what he says. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, that's Peter, has described to us how God first inter intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. Like, he's saying, did you just hear what Peter just said? If we're to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing, we have to admit that God is now doing something completely different. God has been dropping hints for us all these years. And the hint here is that the outsiders are now welcome. These people who felt like they were stiff-armed from coming to God, well, now it's, it's free game. Anybody could come in. And then after that, um, James, he kind of quotes a verse from the book of Amos saying, hey, we guys, we knew this. There's a prophet that we read, right, guys? We read book of Amos that said um, that, that one day the outsiders are going to be a part of us and that we're going to be living with them. Like, remember that verse? Like, well, it's happening right now. It's, like, it's not outside of the Old Testament, right? So we have to believe that this is what God wants us to do. And, wants us to do. and now the next verse I'm going to share with you is the most important verse of this chapter. Maybe it's the most important verse of this entire book of Acts. I have two favorite verses. This is one of them. If, if we owned a permanent church building, I would definitely put this on the wall. I think every church should have this on the wall. This is what he says. It is my judgment, after listening to everything that you guys said, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I mean, you should get this tattooed. No, don't get it tattooed. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> but it should, every church should have this memorized. This is so important. Basically, what he's saying here is this. If people want to come to Jesus, let's remove all obstacles. Well, James, what kind of obstacles are you talking about? Surely not the Bible, right? Well, if you've been paying attention for the past few weeks, this is exactly what James is saying. He's saying we have to remove things like the commandments, the commands of God, including the Ten Commandments. We have to remove the barrier of language because in the Jewish, remember, it was a national religion. Judaism was a national religion. They all spoke the same language. But now that it's going outside of that, they're like, we, have, we can't cling on to our language anymore. And then customs and rituals, including circumcision. I know you guys didn't wake up early in the morning to come here to hear me talk about circumcision, but it's part of the text. But okay, but he's saying there's a lot of rituals that are keeping these people far from God. We need to set them aside. James, are you serious? Are you allowed to set aside the 
Bible? Can he do that? You know, like, and James is like, yeah, it is my judgment, therefore, that we need to move these things out of the way. Now, does that mean that we should stop reading the Old Testament? No. We, there's so many good things about the Old Testament that we should, that's why we study the Old Testament here at this church. There's a lot of things we can learn about who God is, who we were. We can learn about our history, right? There's a lot of great things there. But in terms of following rules, James says, we are no longer required. You can if you want. We're no longer required to follow the laws of the Old Testament. We are only required to follow the one commandment that Jesus gave us, which is to love people as God has loved us. And that pretty much covers it all, right? Now, some of you may be very familiar with the story I just told. You guys read up to Acts 15. But what comes next defines how all churches should behave. So the question is, what's next? Who knows what happens next? Because the next part is often left out, but this is one of the most important things. Because remember, this is happening in Jerusalem. There's a church in Antioch that's awaiting a verdict. So James, while well, he says we should make it as easy as possible for people to come to know Jesus, he says, okay, but I do have one more instruction. And all the Pharisees and all these people are like, yes, I knew that you were going to say, you don't have to follow all the rules except for, you know, like, there needs to be a but, you know, like, except for the Ten Commandments, right? Is it the Ten Commandments? This is what he says. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to, okay, tell us, Ten Commandments, right? Or is it the circumcision one? Is it, is it that one? Now, what James lists here, very interesting. I don't know, like, you're going to be like, why did he come up with this list? Except to, okay, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, okay, from sexual immorality, all right, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Wait, wait, James, I thought, you know, when he said we're not going to follow any of the rules in the Old Testament for the sake of these outsiders, um, I thought you were going to say we're not going to follow any of the rules except for, you know, the Ten Commandments or something more, you know, like the Ten Commandments are like the top ten of, Jesus, of God's laws for us, right? So what, what do you mean? Like, what are, can you give us a reason? So James is like, okay, for... The laws of Moses, that's the Old Testament rules, has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues of every Sabbath. He says, so when the church in, Sabbath, church in Antioch started, we were teaching the Old Testament. And when Paul went to these different places and the people who followed him to reteach them different things, they were being taught the Old Testament. So they're familiar and, uh, with the Old Testament and it's infused in who they are because there are Jews that live in each of those regions also, not just Gentiles, there are Jews there too, right? And the purpose, the, I mean, the, the, the outpouring, the fruit of following Jesus is that we learn to love one another better. So James, that doesn't really explain why these four things, like food sacrifice to idols, blood, strangled meat, and sexual immorality, like what does that have to do with this? Well, if you look at it carefully, the top three, these red ones right here, they have to do with eating and drinking blood. I guess some people drink blood, right? Vampires, I don't know. But <laughs> I guess you could cook blood into make it into a sauce. I don't know. Okay, you guys could teach me about cooking because I don't know how to do that <laughs> later. But okay, you have to remember, in these synagogues where people gathered, these people were both Jews and they're Gentiles. And the way that the Jews let people into their circle is by sharing a meal. Like, I don't know how we do it today. Like, I don't know, you take them to a Rams game on the Super Bowl and then you cheer together, you color your face blue and yellow, and then, 
and you win, and then you bonded, and now you guys are like best friends. Like, I don't know how, right? But back in those days, the way that you show that you are now intimately involved with somebody, not just in dating and stuff like that, but also like as friends, like brotherhood, sisterhood, that kind of thing, um, was by sharing a meal. That was the most intimate thing you could do in that culture. So just imagine if a Gentile and a Jew sat at the table and said, all right, let's share a meal. And then all of a sudden the Gentile guy brings out sacrificed food, boom, right? Strangled meat, boom. And then a cup of blood, I don't know, right? And then they start eating. And even before the meal begins, the Jew is like, okay, never mind. This is not going to work, right? So what James is saying is, hey, guys, it is my judgment that we need to no longer follow these Old Testament rules, especially for the Gentiles. He turns and looks at the Gentiles and says, but you also need to be loving towards them. They are giving up a lot to love on you. You need to give up a lot to love on them. They're trying to decrease the gap between you two by sharing a meal, but that meal cannot even take place if you're eating these three things. So please, abstain from these three things. Food sacrificed to idols, blood, and strangled meat. And then, what about this one, the bottom one? Sexual immorality. Well, it turns out back in those days, Gentiles, before they started going to synagogue, they were usually involved in the local temple, their Greek temples. And usually there was something called temple prostitution that was taking place. It was an act of worship. To worship the goddess of fertility, you had to go and sleep with somebody in the temple, right? And they're like, that is highly offensive to the people who are Jews. So please stop doing that also, because that's a form of idolatry. Your body is a temple of the Lord. You are just doing all these things that you shouldn't be doing. Just don't do that right? So these four things, these imperatives had nothing to do with keeping the laws of Moses. It had nothing to do with that. These imperatives had everything to do with keeping the peace in the church. It was an outpouring of love, right? Remember what I said before that Peter Peter didn't really say, but I think he said, is this, it says, we, Jesus following Jews, must move in their direction and stop expecting them to move in our direction. Well, in the second part of James' teaching, his verdict, he's saying this, we, Jesus following Gentiles, must move in their direction and stop expecting them to move in our direction. They're saying, the Jews, you guys are going to be moving in their direction, meeting them where they are, but Gentiles, if you have the love of Christ in you, you also need to move in their direction. That's how a community of people who are diverse people who don't agree with a lot of things, that's how they get along, is that they continue to give up their own rights for the sake of the other. When I was in elementary school, like there was a kid who would say things like, blah, 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 and I did not like what this person was saying, so I'm like, stop saying that. That's what my voice sounded like. Stop saying that. And he would say, well, it's a free country, freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want, and I could, you know, right? It's like, yes, you're technically right. You have the right to say whatever you want, right? But if you're trying to create a loving community, you don't stand by what the law allows you to do or what your customs allow you to do. You think about the other person and you try to meet them where they are. And if the other person is just as loving, that person will try to do the same and they'll meet where they need to meet. And they'll learn from each other. Maybe the one person will say, you know what, I like what you're saying there. Maybe I'll try your food one day. <laughs> you know, um, I'm not really good with foreign foods, although I, you know, I've tried a few, you know, but there have been times when someone's like, I'm at somebody's house and it'd be rude for me not to eat it, so I try it anyways. I ended up liking it, right? So you, don't, you never know what would happen. So at this point, 
James is like, we've got to get this word out to everybody. How are we going to do that? Well, we don't have email. We don't have a postal service. So what are we going to do? Well, let's write a letter, and then you guys deliver it. So we actually have that transcript right here. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Good way to start a letter. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization. <laughs> it's like when somebody followed up after Paul, we, yeah, that was not supposed to go out, right? Without, without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling you, uh, your minds with what they said. Of course it was troubling. They're like, yeah, Paul came by and made us Jesus followers, and another group of people came in and said, now you have to get circumcised. It was very troubling. Next verse. <laughs> it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, because that's what we think God is doing right now, and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. We think that it's okay that you don't do any of the rules that I mentioned in the Old Testament, except for these four. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from meats of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. We just talked about that. And then he concludes by saying, you will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. And so the scriptures tell us that they took the letter, gave it to uh, Barnabas and Paul, and they traveled up to Antioch to read the verdict. And then after that, they sent Judas, this other guy, not the Judas that betrayed Jesus, another guy named Judas and this guy named Silas to go up a few days after just to confirm because they're like, that writing looks like your handwriting, Paul. You know, like they wanted to make sure that it was clear. So after Paul and Barnabas went up there with the letter, they sent Judas and Silas up there just to confirm verbally that what was sent was absolutely true. And then their reaction, very good. The people read it and were glad. Of course they were. You know, we don't have to get surgery? Oh, that's great. They read it and they were extremely glad for it. It was its encouraging message. I love this, right? But like I said, the main point of this entire story right here is chapter 15, verse 19. Let's go back to it. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This is such an important verse. Should we read this together? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's read this. It says, It is my judgment, you at home too, <laughs> therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Thank you for the five of you who read with me. <laughs> what he's saying here is this. It is not our job to build walls when God is tearing down walls. It is not our job to take walls that existed in the past and bring it back up when God, all he's trying to do is to create unity amongst people through love. I understand that a lot of you guys have convictions about certain things, whether if it's a political thing, whether if it's uh, a stance on the LGBTQIA plus thing, whether if it's on the way that you should interpret scripture, or what denomination you're a part of, or I don't know, you just name it, whatever favorite football team or baseball team or basketball team, I don't know what divisions we have. But as followers of Jesus, we are called to push all those things aside and live according to the one rule that God has given us in the New Testament, which is for us to love all people in the way that God has loved us. Not to build up walls, but to tear them down. Living along with what God has been calling us to do all this time. In other words, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, James, they fought to keep the church as inclusive as possible. And then 2,000 years later, are we continuing on that legacy? Maybe 
a better question to ask is what concessions are we, where you go, what concessions are we or do we need to make in order for others to fit in? Do we have to change the style of music we're playing? Maybe it's the way I'm preaching. Maybe it's not, you know, maybe it's offensive to some people or whatever. I mean, I'll do my best to stay true to the text, but if it's the delivery that has an issue, I'll, I'll change because I need to do whatever I can to make it as easy as possible for people to join the Jesus movement. Amen? All right, let's pray.